We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you. We are going to continue our NFL draft discussion series, talking more wide receivers. But before we get into that, Mario, I went to another sporting event this week. Oh, the dog show. Maybe the finest sporting event in the land. Yeah, your reporting kind of fizzled out really quickly that day you had the the tweet in the morning with the big uh polar bear dog Mm -hmm. and then just kind of radio silence i wasn't sure what how to handle that my massive success of getting 25 likes on a tweet so i uh i panicked and uh oh you used the best dog too early in the day i think so i mean i have another dog picture uh with a leon burger i don't know if you've if you know what kind of dog that is burger it basically looks like a bear Okay. It's incredible. Um, saw one of those guys. Maybe I'll just throw that out there on, on Twitter uh, after I post this. Or something. It'll be the, the thumbnail for this podcast yes. or something. <laughs> All dogs. The, uh, the This is the... It is Westminster? Was yes. That, this is the Westminster Dog Show uh, episode of the Roto-Wire NFL podcast. So uh, plan accordingly, I guess. We did see, you know, in the in-between, uh, in-between groups, they would have like, uh, dogs that were trained for agility and all sorts of cool stuff. And they're, they would just like throw a Frisbee 30 yards and the dog would run it down. This really dog fast. is a possession receiver. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, it has no deep game at all. It, yep. So that, that kind of brain poisoning was leaking into my thought process during it. <laughs> Good ankle flexion. <laughs> Yes. Oh, that one's hips are going to give out. The German Shepherd with the hip Oof, dysplasia that's, coming. That's sad. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's good though. That is the, that is. This dog has Sony Michelle's knee. <laughs> yeah, all dogs have bad hips. It seems like it's like all that inbreeding from the wolves. 
it, it, it had a bad side effect in the form of a genetic deterioration in all of them. It definitely hurts their draft stock. Yeah, you know, that's you're not going to get to a second contract with German Shepherd hips. Mm-mm, absolutely not. All right, let's talk about some other guys that might make it to their second contract. Again, we are talking wide receivers today. We got through the first handful of tiers last episode all the way up through the tier that included Tyler Johnson, KJ Hamler, Quintez Cephas, and Justin Jefferson. So we're going to move on. Uh, These guys are ranked just outside of your top 20 in overall dynasty rankings here. This next tier begins with Liberty's very own Antonio Gandy-Golden, a guy who might not be on everyone's radar. I think he's he's kind of rising onto people's radar at, at this stage now that, you know, the the actual football season's over. People, you know, they're not going to be digging into Liberty's box scores every single week, but when you hear about a guy that's 6'4", 222, that's had, what, three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons at this time of year, that's something that's noteworthy. That's something that, that uh, people are going to start paying attention to. Yeah, uh, so Antonio Gandy-Golden's pretty interesting. He's not the easiest evaluation because it's a really thin line between a Kiaris Garrett and a uh, Kenny Galladay. And if you think back, like it's easy to look at Galladay, the player he's becoming in the NFL, and it's easy to forget that he was kind of in the same reception category as Antonio Gandy-Golden going into the combine. People are just kind of like... Uh, North Dakota, or wait, he was North Dakota, Northern Illinois, and then Northern Illinois. Uh, Yeah, so people are kind of like, hey, he's a big receiver, small school guy, who knows, he might be a day three kind of thing, mid-round pick, I don't know, and uh, then he tested surprisingly well at the combine, still didn't go in the first round or anything, he was a third rounder, but uh, Galladay was, I think, stronger in the combine than people expected him to be going into it, and certainly he's uh, been a much better NFL player than people assumed some people were on him i know that you know the the real uh the mac heads knew about kenny Galladay, but, but everybody else was kind of uh you know needed to be converted they were they were kind of skeptical of this small school uh big receiver who i think would have been like a red shirt junior a red shirt uh, senior actually um at that point in his career uh, after anyway with uh with all that being noted my my point that i'm trying to get to is that antonio <laughs> gandy golden is not like you said, a household name or anything, but it wouldn't be surprising to me uh, if he kind of just goes in the second or third round and people are like, oh, crap, well, this is a, this is a big receiver who is athletic and was productive in college, and now he's you know third on some NFL team's depth chart, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if in a year or two he's the best receiver on the team that he's on. Uh, there's a wide range of outcomes. Uh, with that said, I'm not getting my hopes up that high specifically, but if he tests well enough at the combine, I, I could get pretty hyped for Antonio Gandy-Golden because the production is really good and uh, the tape it's uh, it's one of those things where being as big as he is he's not going to look like the great route runner or anything like some other guys and he's not going to get as many effortless releases because when you're a big target like that you you can kind of just get grabbed jammed a little easier at the line of scrimmage but um, he looks pretty fast to me and I'm, I'm just guessing and the tape lies constantly so uh i'm not predicting like a great 40 times specifically but he looks you know he looks good and he he generates separation as much as you could reasonably ask as of a big receiver and uh he's he's a true senior he wasn't like a he didn't have like the red shirt uh 50 year advantage uh so that means he broke out at like an actually young age and and not just broke out he carried that liberty offense for the last three years one thing that was pretty interesting to me, um, I gotta find this at this uh, this one game log thing from uh, his true sophomore year against Baylor. He had stupid big numbers, uh, stupid box score in that game. Wasn't he, Baylor like a one win team that year though? Not to no, I'm just oh, oh they they were they were not a good defense. It certainly wasn't. Um, Yes, thirteen catches for one ninety two and two touchdowns. Yeah, so he was pretty good. He was a true sophomore. He would have been nineteen at the time. He was targeted, I think, nineteen or twenty two times. Twenty two, twenty two times in that Nailed game. It. So uh, it's one of those things. Like, yeah, he was. He did not. Uh, it, it wasn't a great defense that he was going against, but because he was 19 and because he played for Liberty and because he took on that kind of I don't volume, think Liberty was in the FBS yet either. Right. They were still two years away, I think, um, something like that. Um, so, yeah, like I, I found it was 2017 Baylor. Their defense allowed 66.1% completion rate, 8.3 yards per attempt. Uh, 
in that game, and it's just one game, it doesn't mean a ton, but in that one game, Ganey Golden caught 59% of his targets at 8.7 yards a target. So uh, that's that's like right at the baseline of what Baylor allowed that year, and Baylor generally was not playing Liberty. So uh, to do that at 19, where you're generally at a one- or a two-year age disadvantage, and to do it at that scale of volume – that's pretty convincing as far as one game case studies go for me anyway. I, I'm thinking uh, unless he tanks at the combine, Gandy Golden is definitely a day two pick for me sooner than he would be like a round five or six sort of pick. Yeah, I, you know, like like you're saying with the caveat that that the, the film can lie, I thought there was a lot to like about Gandy Golden. Um, I, I watched the Syracuse game from this year, and, I, and Syracuse coming into the year, that they obviously flopped relative to expectations, but really strong defense in 2018, brought a lot of it back in 2019. It, the pieces just didn't fit all together all the way, but either way, uh, with Hugh Freeze coaching from a hospital bed in that one, <laughs> <laughs> um, Gandy Golden, I felt like for a guy his size, he really did have a nice ability to gain separation right off the line. Like his his immediate burst for a guy as long limbed and as big as he is was pretty impressive. Like he it was not a lot of wasted motion, a lot of wasted steps. A guy like there's a guy a little bit later on in this tier that I do have those concerns with who's a similar big receiver, but with Ganny Golden, it did seem natural his ability to like gain some leverage early on in his route and once like he, you know, he's past you he's so much bigger than you if you're a cornerback then you know you know it could be a wrap and that that obviously happens with Kenny Galladay a lot so I really love that comp right there yeah it's it's a it's one of those things where it's like I don't want to be too optimistic and give too you know give, give people false hope or whatever about a player but going into the same part of the process Antonio Gandy Golden grades exactly as well as Kenny Galladay did so uh if if Antonio Gandy Golden runs a low four five at the combine and and posts good vertical, good broad jump like Kenny Galladay did. There's just not much that's different between the two at that point. So uh, it, it could all still go wrong. It doesn't mean if he runs those numbers that he's guaranteed to succeed. But as far as all available information implies, it it's more likely than not based on what we know at the moment so let's move on over to another receiver prospect did not play receiver this past year but did carry his offense in terms of the um the the passing game two years ago when he was a receiver and that's lynn bowden of kentucky obviously with terry wilson going down with the season ending injury earlier in the year for kentucky Kentucky just sort of had to adjust on the fly. They put the ball in the hands of their best playmaker, their best athlete, and that was Bowden. So they basically ran some sort of variation of single wing option type of stuff and just let him run for almost 1,500 yards this past season. But the last year that he was a full-time receiver – um, he caught 77% of his passes while the while the team's baseline was 65.5%. He caught five of the team's 14 passing touchdowns. So again, we're not talking about an explosive Kentucky passing attack from a couple of years ago, but Bowden was a huge major uh, part of that. And he was averaging like 1.4 yards per target more than the team was averaging yards per pass, eight and a half yards a target, 7.1 yards per pass attempt um, in that offense in 2018. And then Going into 2019, just the impressive ball skills with the ability with the ball on his hands. I mean, there's a lot to like about Bowden secretly. Yeah, he's a tough evaluation because of the, you know, basically a year off from playing receiver. He played some receiver last year and uh, the numbers weren't good, but it was basically just like that Toledo game and then everything kind of went off the rails, right? Like it was. like was Wilson couldn't have gotten hurt much long after that I think he might have gotten hurt during the Toledo game oh okay uh because yeah I remember I remember looking at the box score from that one and and Bowden was playing receiver for that one but then I I I look away from college football for two weeks and instead he's running for 200 yards every week and he's playing quarterback uh so that's not what he's going to do in the NFL oh he got Uh, hurt the the following week sorry so week two so yeah it's it's one of those things that's like Bowden basically spent the last year doing you know work that was good for the Kentucky football team but did nothing to help his own uh, you know development as a receiver which is the position he's going to play in the NFL he can't play quarterback uh, but you keep running for 200 yards in a game like that when the defense knows what's coming yeah and so we we know he can run we know he can 
do things with the football. We don't know yet how fast he'll be. It's, he doesn't look like a burner or anything on tape, but he's also one of those guys who's very patient as a runner, and you can you can kind of see that he's not cutting loose a whole lot. Like you can tell he he's he's seeing the field and he's waiting on things to happen and he's he's interpreting what he's what he's looking at, not necessarily just running at it as fast as he can. So in the combine, if he you know in this setting where he actually does run as fast as he can, if he puts at a good forty time up. Then at that point, even if you're concerned, oh, maybe he's underdeveloped as a route runner, maybe he's uh, rusty f- from playing quarterback, you're still at that point left with a player who you know is a better innate runner than pretty much everybody. And in that, in the case that he's also proven himself fast and ideally, you know, leaping ability and quickness, all those drills. If he if he does well with those, I think it makes sense to project, uh, you know, a generous skill set assumption even though he hasn't played receiver a whole lot overall because uh like you were saying in the two years before last year uh he had in those two seasons so his true freshman and his true sophomore season he had 84 catches on 109 targets for 955 yards so 77.1 percent caught at 8.8 yards per target that's stuff that you just don't really do playing for kentucky at least not after uh like tim couch and andre woodson receivers don't do things like that for kentucky so it's pretty interesting and bowden was a pretty high recruit for them yes yeah i wanted to bring that up like he for by kentucky standards uh like a high four star uh fringe top 150 guy in the nation in his class yeah so there's reason to be optimistic that he does well at the combine and again even even if he has kind of an incomplete grade for his wide receiver history if you have a guy who can run like he can and he proves himself fast at that point, especially given the the cost that he'll carry, like he'll be a, I think he'll be a third or a fourth round pick. If you're in the third or the fourth round and you have a guy who you know can run and you know is fast, you don't have so many choices at that point that you care anymore about the inexperience because it's like the alternatives are guys who have a lot of receiver experience but uh, weren't as productive and you know don't have the athleticism, whatever it is. So uh, even even though you might see people comparing him to like. Antoine Randall or something like that I think it's it's reasonable to have higher hopes than that as a receiver prospect with Bowden like Dang. I think you can you can hope reasonably based on what we know now that he actually turns into a starter in the NFL okay and Randall L uh maybe just some Ravens fan scar tissue but I, I mean he was a, a he was dangerous a player. interesting gadget like third receiver for a while but yeah I mean Bowden it it's too easy to do this given their really similar career trajectories and the places that they play college at but with randall cobb mm. i think you have i think the almost identical trajectory different kinds of players um yeah like bowden was an even worse passer as a quarterback than cobb but an even better runner uh so it's it's interesting and and cobb i don't know what exactly how good he actually was at his peak for the packers i don't i don't I can't figure out what exactly he was, but he had a few years there where he was very productive. And so for fantasy purposes, I think you have similar, you have reason for similar uh, optimism with Bowden, at least if he tests well at the combine. If he tests terribly at the combine, then never mind. And if he can play with peak Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that would help too. (laughs) But uh, yeah, he's, as far as these kind of like fifth tier receivers go, these guys who aren't locks to go in the first two, three rounds, Bowden really stands out for his uh, the, the skill set that he's demonstrated to this point. Yeah, a lot to like with him. Uh, let's move on over to Isaiah Hodgins, a guy who sort of like Bowden uh, was hitting above the weight class as far as the recruit that he was and, and where he ended up going. Like Oregon State doesn't usually pull in a receiver or a recruit of Hodgins's Right. caliber but he was a, a you know a mid to high four star six four 209 pounds listed um was a productive player for three years there um impressive ability to accelerate for a guy with that frame a lot to like about him as well yeah it's possible that he tests poorly though in the 40 and if he does i might have to lower him a bit in the rankings but basically my logic for putting him in this range of the rankings at the moment is that we have basically incomplete athleticism variables for pretty much everybody if you're not on feldman's freaks list you we basically don't know what you run or jump or anything so i have to just kind of lean on the age adjusted production and isaiah hodgins even if he is slow even if he's 
you know, a below average athlete, you couldn't tell it by looking at his production. And in the tape, he's certainly like a functionally athletic receiver. He's, he's very, he's smooth at doing wide receiver stuff. The question is whether he'll be, you know, fast enough to win the same ways in the NFL. And uh, I'm agnostic on that at the moment, but I'm deferring to his production, which was really good, even, you know, adjusting for the other Oregon State players. And he was doing it at a young age. Uh, The last two years, he was really good, has some really impressive catches. And you can imagine him, even if he's not getting open in the NFL, you can imagine him making up for it by just winning when the ball is in the air. So who was that one handed catch against? Was that against Oregon or Stanford? Uh, the Stanford one was a crazy catch and he had a few really nuts catches actually. So th- that might've been one, but yeah, it was, it, it just looked like a, it's like the, the pass looked like a slider or something. And, and then like it was, it was zipping around uh, the defenders and he somehow ended up one handing yeah, it. That was basically like, remember those old NFL fantasy commercials where like they, they would have kind of impossible things happen like a uh, Chris Cooley standing behind a, a a, a sheet of drywall and they th- would throw a ball and he like punch through it and be able to catch it oh. like it, it, it felt like Hodgins was doing one of those type of things like it watched this and just like being able to while cutting inside turn around uh and with his outside hand being able to like kind of almost backhand with one hand that ball yeah. that was pretty the, insane in traffic looked, too it looked like it looked like uh someone manipulating footage when you watch it it, it, it doesn't look real um so it was, that was a really impressive catch Is there a second passer What's that? Was there a second passer? Is there the Zap Ruder film? Oh right, yeah. I don't know. It was <laughs> there's there's something fishy on the tape, and you know we will have to. It, we'll never know for sure how that ball got there. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's 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 a guy. It's a good catch on his part, and he shows different sorts of impressive catches like that. Like the body control, the hands are definitely there. Uh, I'm guessing he's a technically sound route runner because he he's not beating people by just outrunning them. You know. So we'll see. If he tests well, then I'm going to be quite optimistic. And in the meantime, he's basically the same player to me as Justin Jefferson because they're both skinny-ish, very productive players who we have reason to maybe worry about their athleticism a bit. So uh, in any case, I I put Hodgins ahead of these other guys in the same tier. But in this tier, I just want to run through the list just so I, I don't make it... I don't want to make it sound like I'm substantially lower than the guy who's eighth you know, over, over the first and the second when I, I basically have them all in the same group. So among this group after Bowden, Gandy Golden and Hodgins, I put Gabriel Davis of UCF, Brandon, is it Ayuk? Ayuk, yep. Ayuk of Arizona State, Michael Pittman of USC, James Proch of SMU and Denzel Mims of Baylor. So I'm, I'm not really, uh, I'm, I'm not like uh, set on ranking any of these guys ahead of the other. I'm, I'm kind of punting, in fact, uh, in the meantime. But with Davis and Ayuk, you got a couple guys, uh, Pittman too. Uh, they were all really productive on their teams. Uh, they're a little bit different in terms of like their builds and their kind of uh, um, certainly recruiting background and, and their, their age. But uh, with Davis, you got the, uh, I think he might have been, I think he was a true junior. He was. Then Ayuk was a true senior after a ju- Juco transfer. Michael Pittman, also a true senior. So Davis, if if he's getting a bump in my rankings, it's a little bit because of the age adjustment. Okay. But he looks pretty athletic on tape. Like if I, if I feel stupid for ranking Hodgins as high as I did, it'll be because in hindsight, I'll be like, I knew Davis was faster. Why did I have Hodgins ahead of him uh, when I knew Davis was probably the better athlete? Ayuk and Pittman also better athletes than Isaiah Hodgins. Um, with Ayuk, my concern is a little bit that uh, I'm almost worried that he's going to be like a Buster Davis kind of player where he's productive in college, yes, and he, he tests well at the combine. But when you watch his tape, he doesn't seem to be developed as a route runner. Like He kind of just seems to try to be faster and quicker than the person covering him, and I'm not sure he has much of a plan as a route runner. He could learn, even if that's true, he could learn to be a better route runner eventually. And if he does, he's all of a sudden now he's just a fast guy who's good at catching and running. I felt like they they had him run a, a ton of different routes. I, I guess, you know, to your point, maybe they weren't as crisp as they, as they could have been. But like they asked him to do a bunch of different, like give a bunch of different looks on his route tree. Yeah, it's uh, it's not like the the breadth of his routes, the the route tree that I'm concerned with. It's more like I I didn't think he had... I don't think he displayed the innate ability to just set up a defender and, and, and show the kind of like 
reflexive spatial reasoning to, 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 to kind of just know as an athlete, which way to go next. Like it seemed, it seemed like he just had the task understood as like, I got to run faster than this guy. Whereas when you look at some other route runners, like especially like Brian Edwards, it's like that guy is probably slow or he's not fast at least. And yet uh, he, he seems to kind of just have this, you know, he probably doesn't even need to think about it. He probably can't describe to you what he's thinking when he does it, but he just kind of, reflexively knows which ways to turn, which ways to twist, when to stop and start to just kind of lose the guy um, that's that's on him. And I don't know if a guy like Ayuk shows that same thing. Like, okay. he, even though he's faster and quicker and can jump higher, he seems to just kind of get tangled up more for some reason. And with that being the case, like I, I basically figure he keeps getting tangled up because he doesn't have that natural just instinct as to as to how to just set up you know, the person defending you and knowing without thinking it, which way to cut to, to lose them and, and how to set them up just with things like with body language and like head fakes and, and the way you lean can kind of set up the defender a certain way to make, to make your route better. And I don't think he shows that kind of stuff. Uh, but Ayuk, in any case is quite athletic. It looks like on tape and the production was good. Uh, he was, I think he was like the volume wasn't there in the same sense, but in, in efficiency terms, he was as good as Enkil Harry was. Uh, it's tough to figure out what that means because Harry's rookie season was pretty bad, but he has time still. He's young. He could be pretty good. And it's like if, if Ayuk was a similarly productive player and if he's an above average athlete, then he can be a good NFL receiver, even if he isn't a standout route runner by NFL standards. So uh, these things are negotiable. And, you know, the better he tests at the combine, the more reason you would have to be optimistic but curiously it's it's been a bad recent history for the arizona state receivers like even before and harry uh i remember thinking jalen strong was going to be good and he he tested nuts actually he had like a 42 inch didn't vertical. he get dra- he got drafted pretty high yeah, he was a third round pick and i don't know there might there was some talk of him having like a weed issue or something i don't know if that explained any of it but oh, him uh, and david irving should go hang out yeah so i i think you know the, I, I don't really believe in that stuff that like oh every receiver who comes from this school sucks uh, because they played at that school like i don't think that but uh it is interesting that the, the last two guys who produced very well and, and tested very well athletically from arizona state at receiver just have not been very good so uh don't know if that means anything it probably doesn't but it, it's interesting to well, keep in mind i guess he didn't start there so maybe that that'll help his cause <laughs> yeah he's a transfer so he's yeah. like he's he's got a fake curse he's, he's only got the half arizona state uh, wide receiver curse but yeah i guess for me my, my overall impression of him was like he on punt returns he could he was good at like making people miss so maybe some of that spatial awareness like I know that there's an innate element to it, but maybe some of the, those things can catch on at the next level. I thought he had decent, you know, running ability as far as getting off the line and also deep down the field. He had pretty decent hands too, like a 63% catch rate. Um, I felt like maybe he can have like a Nate Burleson esque career or something, something along those lines, like yeah. being like a very like solid number two or number three type of receiver. Yeah, and again, the better he tests at the combine the less reason I have to be concerned about whatever it is that I think I see in the tape. So uh, he could be, you know, not to put any unfair expectations on him, but Brandon, I could be one of the very best athletes among the receivers in this class. So uh, he he's someone who at, at once like needs to do well at the combine, but he, he also seems well prepared to do well at the combine. Absolutely. All right. Did you have any, uh, anything else to add on Gabriel Davis? Uh, not really. He's he's interesting because uh, uh, he seems inconsistent to me. He in the was tape. super inconsistent. Um, there are some times in some routes where Takes I'm plays like, plays off. Yeah, there's some times where I just don't really know what he's. I don't know if it's because he doesn't know what he's doing either. Like it's possible that he's just not that polished in terms of coaching. Um, but when he at his best moments, he looks pretty impressive to yes. me. And at this range of the draft, uh, you know, when you're talking third or fourth round. It's it's uh it's it's easier to excuse you know some bad plays here and there. It's not like we're spending a first round pick on the guy, and if we're if we're spending a day two pick, a third fourth round pick, whatever it is, all all else being equal, I'd like to take someone who who shows high points, you know, and because uh, they're all risky at this point, and and you might as well if you're taking risks, get maybe a big 
payout for your up uh, for the risk you're taking on. Uh, but yeah, Davis at his best moments looks maybe even borderline wide receiver one type of player because he, he looks really smooth athletically. And if he if he's a six two two fifteen six three two fifteen guy who tests at above average level, then there's not really much to doubt him over at that point. Uh, but yeah, during the tape, he, he I, I feel like the way Ayuk looks most of the time with his routes, Davis. Davis Davis has like worse low points than Ayuk, I would say, but his his higher points give you reason to hope that that he can, uh, you know, maybe even off and and just be the good stuff when he gets to the NFL. But it's it's tough, I especially since you don't know the play calls and the route combos. There's there's some plays where you watch Davis and it's like I don't know if he knew what the play was. Yeah, there, it's like if the play if the play isn't going to his side or something like that he basically doesn't even run it bother running his route it seemed like but i, th- I there were a couple times where i think he really was like guessing what the play was yeah, that's, <laughs> but uh i could be i could be wrong it, it, you know they UCF has kind of a, a quirky offense so th- maybe they have weird assignments i don't I know i think the uh pit game illustrates all of the things that you were talking about yeah. in, in terms of the high points like he he dusted the you know their outside corner a few times and you know had a long touchdown in that game had another one where he almost had another really nice touchdown in the corner of the end zone but I don't understand how the catch rate was so bad when like he didn't exclusively run short or uh, like deep down the field routes like I don't think that the route tree that he ran excuses catching only 54% of his passes even if UCF wasn't a super high efficiency type of offense in that regard. Yeah, it's uh, it's not elite production or anything in Davis's case. It's it's more like acceptable or, or adequate. So that that's kind of one of the reasons why I I don't have him in a higher tier. But uh, as as far as this one goes, I, like I'm already kind of regretting having Hodgins as high as I do. I might want to. Oh, maybe I should put Hodgins. Keep in the, the face. No, if he, if he tests well, then I'll I'll feel good about it. But yeah, I'm like it, it, at least because in the cases like Davis Ayuk probably Pittman too we have reason to think they'll test pretty good so I I, I guess it's like I I should have factored in a, a reasonable expectation of Hodges's athletic testing because he could test well but we don't have as much reason to think he will as those other guys and especially Ayuk because uh, because uh, I'm pretty sure he had some workout numbers attributed to him recently but I'm not remembering so I, sh- I should leave that alone um, but yeah Michael Pittman in any case he's he's a similar category as Antonio Gandy Golden 64 220ish uh, did not break out as early in his USC career which you could argue is is more acceptable because he's at USC uh, where they have you know usually anyway they have really good receivers and Liberty it's not quite that case so uh Pittman can't sh- arguably shouldn't be faulted much for only breaking out well he, he had a good junior season but he really broke out last year as a true senior which uh you'd like to see a season like that happen earlier in his career but uh you know as, as a round two or three or four prospect he's totally a, a reasonable pick in that range I think because if he had broken out earlier, then we'd be talking about him as like a top 15 pick instead of a day two pick. Yeah, I like Pittman a lot. I think that um, as long as he's healthy enough to to be a full go at the combine, I think that he'll turn some heads and you know establish himself as one of the best big receivers in this class because he's got really nice downfield ability for being as big as he is. Um, a lot to like about his game, I think. Yeah, uh, and the other thing I guess I going back to Hodgins briefly I think Hodgins is only 6'2 with Michael Pittman and Gandy Golden they are definitely 6'4 yeah they're all of it. Uh, so that they're they're truly you know they're confirmed very big receivers uh James Proch I don't know where I put him exactly he's got such high volume at SMU and he does nice enough things on tape but uh he was a red shirt player his four years at SMU so basically last season's production doesn't matter to me like if red shirt senior seasons are, are not real if, as far as like age adjusted production goes you, you can fail the grade but you can't really get an A for it because it's just a it's like a pass fail I guess at that point um but yeah big volume got on the field early at SMU he was kind of like a high three-star recruit so he's, he's not just an out of nowhere uh, system product like he definitely was the best receiver on those teams but uh, it just wouldn't be surprising if you know the, the way guys like you know Andre Roberts burn out in the league it wouldn't be surprising if Proch was that kind of player not to say he he's going to be that it's just he his production good as it is and and as much as he needed to show it to be an NFL prospect it's just kind of a 
an adequate grade to me. Yeah, for for me, like Prochet is definitely going to be a slot receiver first of all, and I think he has good enough hands. I think he had one of the like bigger sets of hands at the Senior yeah, Bowl. So. so so like I mean that adds up to me. Um, also a little bit better at at making contested catches than you might expect for a guy who's just six foot one ninety uh, that type of thing. But so. He has that ability. He's got good body control. Um, I think he runs pretty crisp routes. I think he'll grade out as like a, at least a, a, a the type of replacement level athleticism that you need to at least get onto the field. And he's got good hands. So it's one of those guys where almost like Michael Pirine at, at running back, like he he's probably good enough to do something if he gets himself the opportunity. But I don't know if he is standout enough to where like a team is going to feel particularly inclined to like rush him onto the field necessarily if that makes yeah sense. He, if he if he tests well at the combine then it'll be a lot easier to have faith in him because because right now it's like he's an overaged small school player and uh, it's they also have a kind of a favorable system there so uh there, there's a, a range of outcomes with him i think but if he tests well as you know especially as if he tests as well as some other uh good recent nfl receivers then it'd be reasonable to have pretty high hopes for him and uh, as much as people want to dismiss smu probably that isn't necessarily wise because uh, they definitely had uh, like aldrick robinson didn't turn out to be anything but emmanuel sanders was an smu receiver corlin sutton uh, uh, corlin sutton and um there's a i think cole beasley played there too he so, did uh yeah just because proche is a small school receiver doesn't mean he should be ignored like if, oh, if no. anything he should be uh kept very much in mind because if he does test what better than people expect at the combine then all of a sudden he could be like a top 40 yeah, kind th- of pick yeah i think the aac deserves people's respect as far as you know look and looking at the overall talent base of that conference i think cincinnati turns out good players obviously memphis does um smu i, I think also turns out good enough player so yeah don't, don't write him off just because he plays in the aac but yeah the other guy in this tier the last one in order for me is denzel mims who I really can't figure him out. It's it's one of those things where I, I can't I can't tell what's a fair expectation for him because he 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 play he he produced at a high volume level and that includes a, a true sophomore season breakout where he led Baylor. Uh, so he was putting up good volume and then at the Senior Bowl he was I think the consensus uh, best graded receiver. Like pretty much everybody said he was doing a great job there. So. He could be getting better still if 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 things uh, if if the senior bowl reports are correct because it it sounded like he basically looked a little more polished than he looked on the Baylor tape and Baylor's got a weird history of receivers lately that also complicates things because sure. uh, they actually did have a system that uh, I don't know if it was like in hindsight there were reasons to doubt guys like Tevin Reese and Antoine Goodley but there were also points in time where people were really high on them uh Corey Coleman I think would have been good if it wasn't for the injuries and maybe off-field stuff but uh in any case like Terrence Williams Kendall Wright they were busts uh so just because Mims has been the best Baylor receiver of late doesn't mean a whole lot and there are issues with his his uh production not uh exceeding the baseline in baylor so the volume helps and, and when you have high volume you can excuse uh middling efficiency but the efficiency was never really there the whole time and it's also concerning to me that even in his breakout season as a true sophomore he, he's a little bit over age like i think he's going to be 23 this fall so it's it's he his breakout age although it was a true sophomore season was the same age as like some guys as true juniors um so it's 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 more like a junior year, or at least like a sophomore and a half year breakout, something like that. And uh, yeah, it's he got kind of pushed aside by Jalen Hurd when Jalen Hurd transferred there, and and Tyquan Thornton has been more efficient, although with less volume in the same offense. So Mims to me is kind of like a round four, round five sort of, I don't know, one of those picks where you you almost think of it as a punt because you can't know more than you do. And what you do know is insufficient, but it's like, he's, he's checked some boxes at least. And the, the senior bowl performance helps. All right, let's get on to the next tier leading off a guy who also might not be on everybody's radar, but interesting numbers, really interesting numbers actually for Antonio Gibson kind of as the AJ Brown build a little bit there. Yeah. Cause he was a hybrid uh, receiver running back at six, one, two twenty three. Um, really outperformed the baseline of a, of a good 
Memphis offense. The the team itself averaged nine and a half yards per pass attempt. He was doing thirteen point one yards per target. Obviously, he wasn't the primary uh, receiver in that offense, and yet he so he had like a thirteen percent market market share, but still caught twenty four percent of their passing t- touchdowns. So that that goes to show like the explosiveness on a per catch basis uh, that he was bringing to the table there. Yeah, he's he was listed at the Senior Bowl as a running back, so he has some ambiguity like tony pollard did coming out uh i look at gibson and i think he should play receiver but uh that's largely just because he kind of has a a high uh like posture like he he doesn't have a a low lean like i prefer to see in a running back but when you turn on the tape he looks kind of fast and he he's very big so if he is kind of fast as if he is as fast as he looks if he tests well at the combine that would make him one of the more toolsy receivers in the draft, which would do a lot to help his profile, even though he only played one year at Memphis and, and kind of uh, he's a, there are a lot of questions about Gibson. But if he is as toolsy as he looks, then especially in this range of the draft, like round four or five and onward, he could stand out among the competition for his you know theoretical upside. Uh, but there are some other receivers in this tier that I'm still pretty hopeful for some i'm skeptical of like i list for instance kj hill at 36 and a guy like chase claypool i can't really figure out what i think about him but they're both in this tier for me following gibson uh guys like Jawan johnson at tennessee and van jefferson from florida i'm a little bit Jawan more, jennings from uh, tennessee oh my bad Jawan jennings uh or sorry, uh is it Jennings yeah I I had a typo in my article I have to go fix that sorry uh so yeah Jawan uh whatever his name is from Tennessee and Van Jefferson from Florida formerly of Mississippi those are two guys who at once like I'm not I'm getting my I'm not getting my hopes up too high for them but I also don't have them very far behind Denzel Mims uh from the previous tier Van Jefferson looks a lot like Keelan Cole to me but if he might be faster he had one of a one of the higher top speed times that they measured at the senior bowl so uh, if that's the case and he's faster than I think, then I might have to raise him. But Van Jefferson will also be a 24-year-old rookie. So he he has a he has a thin margin of error as a prospect. Like He needs to do well from this point to, to certainly to gain ground, but even to hold serve, he needs, he needs to perform decently. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think Jefferson's ceiling is like a very average number three receiver for a couple of years. He seems very technically advanced, so he has that going for him, but uh it's one of those things too. It's like you need to be technically advanced if you're going to be a 24-year-old rookie. Like you, you your margin of error is small such that you need to have certain non-negotiable strengths if you want to even just tread water. But with uh with Jennings in Tennessee's case, he he's uh, he's a former high recruit and he got off to a fast start at Tennessee. Uh, he outplayed their baseline offense i want to say as a the true sophomore and went over like 500 yards or Broke something a ton of tackles at it during his career too yeah he's a six three two in china shop yeah so uh if he tests well at the combine i mean we already have reason to like his you know physicality and the production but if if he turns out to be a six three guy who's reasonably athletic I would not argue against ranking him higher than I have him. Yeah, I think on the field, uh, he's he's a solid enough prospect with, with some upside and you know some tools to work with there. You do wonder if the NFL is going to you know look into the off the field stuff because I think he got suspended at least once during his okay. time at Tennessee, if not multiple times. He had to like talk his way back onto the team uh, when Pruitt got there but i mean he had a really strong senior year so i mean it feels like he ended on a high high enough note to maybe kind where of, he like put those character concerns behind him yeah kind of a similar origin story as i guess preston williams but just a very different uh you know road taken uh but in any case he's he's someone that i'm higher i'm one of in this range he's one of the guys that i'm higher on i think than some of the others uh like him and gibson stand out to me in this range as far as certainly upside although claypool arguably has as much upside as either of them yeah if being, claypool pull, pulls a boykin then you know that this changes things although the, that's tough the, isn't the, it the, yeah the boykin uh because we were both like maybe seventh round grade on, on boykin going into the combine last year it's i like, barely wow, he knew who he so was so much even. money for himself <laughs> insane yeah. um so i mean that's a really high bar to clear for claypool but i mean he looks he's more stocky or yeah he's six four so he's he's like a long receiver too but he's he's more built than boykin was so uh at once you can't expect him to test anywhere near that level um but he he also doesn't need to test as well as boykin to to 
perhaps get a better grade as a prospect, but that's also a tough one because like in hindsight, would we pick Boykin before the fifth round? I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. And the book isn't closed on Boykin at all, uh, but he doesn't have much time either. And Claypool doesn't have much time. They're, they're, uh, he's you know fourth-year player. Uh, he's, he doesn't have uh, age adjustment to fix his production, which is not that great either. It's, it's just kind of middling uh, this, in a similar sense as Boykin. But you know, if you're 6'4 and you're 230 and you're more athletic than the guys who are 30 pounds lighter and two inches shorter than you, you don't even necessarily need to be that skilled at receiver to be useful in an offense. So that's kind of, that's how I conceptualize Claypool at the moment. And uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of him, but I'm, I'm trying to stay open-minded. Okay. Not as open-minded about KJ Hill. I yeah, can't let's really get into that. Out, because he's it, getting some hype. Yeah, and I might be just getting it wrong. Like it, it could. I don't, the I answer don't to the so. question could just be like, he is good and I'm just, I'm just kind of missing it. But uh, he got a lot of hype and only starting with the senior bowl he never really had any hype before then before then he was only just like one of those ohio state receivers who look pretty good but uh he's a 50 year player this last year when he caught 57 passes for 636 yards and 10 touchdowns that's not great efficiency he, he was basically looking at his numbers it looks like he was like the the paris campbell in the offense or at least uh, he was more underneath than he was downfield and you know he's not doing Paris Campbell things he's he's doing okay you know in the junior year 2018 70 catches for 885 yards and six touchdowns in an offense that already had Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin that's you know that's something but it doesn't really do more for me than kind of put him in the the round four or five conversation and I just when we know what guys like McLaurin and Campbell are capable of and Hill falls well short of it I just don't see any reason to 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 assume I don't know. Like you, you read some people talking about KJ Hill at the Senior Bowl and they're like this is it the next star Ohio State receiver and it's like well no. why wasn't he doing what they did at Ohio State then? No, he was below the baseline uh as far as like the production at Ohio State this past year goes almost a full yard per target less than what the team was averaging um and he's old. I think you you know you mentioned it. He was a fifth year guy. He's he's 23 right now, going to be 24 early on in his rookie year oh, I, didn't I, know that. I ran a, a little search over on like pro football reference to see you know similarly aged guys in their rookie seasons and what all they became interestingly enough a guy with in similar size as well anthony gonzalez was like the the top comparison and the top performer um of of that group there he was six foot 193 so right right in line with what kj hill is uh, and he turned out to have an okay career i mean it he obviously had a lot of injuries too that shortened things up. But in terms of like other guys who uh, fit that similar mold of being older and kind of slight frame, Johnny Knox, D.D. Westbrook, Harry Douglas, uh, Eric Parker, uh, the list goes down a little bit further. Um, Chris Thompson, uh, re- the receiver, uh, Marty Gilliard, uh, another guy. So not a particularly impressive like company to be keeping as far as kj hills like you know comparables are concerned yeah for what it's worth uh the google search that i just did said he'll turn 23 in september but uh i don't know what records are correct about this mm-hmm. uh there's i don't know if there's an official one yet but uh in any case for me it's with kj hill it's like i want to remain open-minded enough to, to not get totally burned for fading him but i am fading him a little bit right now uh and I guess another thing for me is it's just like the receiver class in general is too strong at the at the other points for people to be so specifically hyping Hill as one of the best in the class. Like I, I would be more receptive to the argument that he's good too, though. But that's not specifically what his boosters have been saying since the Senior Bowl. They're like, oh man, he's one of the best receivers in the class, and I don't think there's any case at all to make for that. So if if people are making that argument, I, I kind of right or wrong i kind of just tune out the whole subject yeah yeah the the defend the kj hill stands in an odd group they're to too, sure people who have a process that identifies him as one of the best receivers are t- 
wrong about too many things to make their word count for much. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on to these next uh, couple of tiers here as we start to round things out. Almost done. <laughs> Almost done. But a lot of receivers. So, I mean, like 55 were invited to the Combine. So, and I believe that's a record. So, a lot to get through here. Um, so, this next tier, Kalijah Lipscomb, Colin Johnson, um, to name a couple of, of those guys. And then you get down in the following tier to like your Kendall Hilton, Hasis Dubois, Jeff Thomas, Quez Watkins, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Yeah, so I put Kalaja Lipscomb and Colin Johnson in, in the second to last tier. Uh, Lipscomb had a pretty bad season for Vanderbilt last year, and yet he was above the baseline. It was ugly, but he still was above the baseline. And he's one of those guys who has multiple years of standout production. I'm choosing... I'm trying to keep the faith a little bit and think of him more of uh, his junior year production when they still had uh, Kyle Shermer, was it? Because uh, when they got Riley Neal from Ball State last mm-hmm. year, like that is some of the worst quarterback play I've seen in a long time. Like I, I looked at some of the Lipscomb tape from last year. Neal is so bad. Like Shermer was bad. Uh, good he by Vanderbilt standards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in 2018, Lipscomb caught 87 passes in 13 games for 916 yards nine touchdowns on 122 targets so high volume and above the baseline in that case and crucially um he he had 610 yards and eight touchdowns as a true sophomore so uh, i believe he would have been uh under 19 at that point so that's just one of those things like he's got to have something to work with maybe he's a below average athlete i don't think he is he looks kind of he looks quick and explosive on tape to me but he did not get great reviews at the senior bowl and whether i like it or not the the nfl's perception of these players matters more than mine and if they're low on him and he gets drafted late and he doesn't get an opportunity then it doesn't matter how good i thought he was so i have to keep that possibility in mind and, and limit my enthusiasm even though i'm, I'm basically a lipscomb truther I, I think um if if these were just my personal rankings i would probably put him ahead of somebody like kj hill and chase claypool and van jefferson but uh, i think i'm in the minority is the thing <laughs> okay interesting yeah i i've coming into this year like it, you remember we, we were doing like the college fantasy rankings and i had lipscomb like up pretty high but the, that offense really really caved in Neil on itself could not I mean, play Keyshawn uh Keyshawn vaughn also had a much worse 2019 than he did in 2018 so they i mean they were you know looking up looking on the up after that 2018 season but yeah again it fell apart so you do need to look a little bit harder at those lipscomb numbers because if you just look at his senior year you will rightfully or you know you'd think rightfully write him off because it wasn't great but you got to contextualize it a little bit there uh colin johnson yeah so i thought i was going to hate his tape before i looked at it and i still don't think he's more than like a I don't know, round five, round six kind of prospect. I mean, he's but so tall. Like what, you know, he's tall and he's skinny. Right. He's six, six, tight end. Move tight end. I don't think so. Actually, if anything, he's like, he's, he just is a, he's quicker and more coordinated than I thought he would be, but he's also a lot more finesse than I thought he would be. And if you're six, six, there's not much utility in being a truly finesse player. It's like you, you want to be big for the purpose of bullying people and, and, uh, you know, having a physical advantage over them, whereas he, it seems negated largely because he's he's he more avoids contact and and he's he's kind of uh, he's just not bulky and and you know six six two twenty one you are skinny and you're a liability against the jam so you would ideally be more like two thirty five if you're six foot six something like that and but like, he's as as far as running routes and 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 like using his hands to catch the ball he's better than I thought it's just like it looks like you're it feels like I'm watching a guy who's just like in a body that he's not supposed to be like, he's like, he's a five foot 11 guy trying to do the stuff that he normally does, but he's been freaky Friday into this tall person's body and he doesn't really know what to do with it. Right. And, and to that point, you would expect a big person to be a effective red zone target. He caught three touchdowns this year. Like what? Three touchdowns. Texas threw 32 touchdowns like that. Yeah. It's for being that big. Like I, I definitely get what you're saying there, but the, We've known about Colin Johnson for long enough to where I I just can't believe that he never really took off. And, and with I think that, it's, it's hard for me to sell myself on him. Yeah, there was a time where they were trying to almost hype him as like their next Roy Williams or something. And that hype turned out to be um, ill-conceived, I guess. But I think he might 
he he might be a better just kind of like backup off the bench kind of receiver in the NFL than I thought. But uh, for what it's worth, he was one of those guys who never really produced above the baseline. But to his credit, he started carrying the offense at a pretty young age and he didn't fall below the baseline doing it. So uh, as long as his frame isn't like prohibitively thin and if, if he doesn't have trouble getting clean releases because of it, he could be useful in my opinion. Like he's nowhere near Duvernay as far as the, you know, the other Texas receiver, but I thought I would hate Colin Johnson. I thought I would think of him the exact same way. I thought of Brandon Coleman, who is the only other receiver like this that I can really remember. Uh, He was not good in the NFL. He wasn't, he he was, he was a lopsided at best prospect coming out of Rutgers, but I rank Colin Johnson higher than I did Brandon Coleman, which is, I guess, also, I think he's better than Lil Jordan Humphrey, who at least was kicking around on the saints practice squad all year. Oh, okay. All right. So at least there's that. All right, let's move on to this last uh, group of receivers here. We got Kendall Hilton, Hassis Dubois, Jeff Thomas, DPJ and Quez Watkins. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Kendall Hinton, right? Is that, Kendall Hinton? Did H- I say something else? Oh, I thought you said Hilton. Oh. Uh, but I've I've been I've been making typos in this article, see. So I'm I'm uh, I'm no, it's Hinton. I'm I'm questioning everything that I've written down. Um, but yeah, Hinton. He's a he's a former quarterback. He he was not a good quarterback. He, he's moved to receiver after uh, Wake Forest got a couple decent quarterback prospects. And uh, Hilton uh, Hinton is <laughs> 23. Oh, no. So it's tough to make a call like this. And this is why I've got him so low in the rankings. But uh, it was also one of those things It's like if you're an overaged prospect, you can excuse it more easily if you also changed positions beforehand. Like it sure. wasn't it wasn't like he sat at the bottom of the depth chart at receiver for five years and then just at the last second got out there like this was his first real shot. But he caught over 70 percent of his targets and was, uh, I think, doing like 10 yards a target almost for uh, Wake Forest. Yeah, the, the college like the DFS heads that listen to this. They have fond memories of Kendall Hinton. Yeah, so Hinton's, you know, when you produce like that, I have to pay attention because it's uh, one, you know, recent example we can all grasp is Greg Ward. And Hinton's bigger than than Ward, and he was more productive. He's got more experience playing receiver than Ward did coming into the NFL. And Ward, you know, with the opportunity, ended up producing a bit last year. I think Hinton's a better prospect, at least if I'm looking at his numbers. You know, 73 catches on 103 targets for a mm-hmm. thousand yards. That's 70 percent catch rate at 10 yards a target, more or less. You had to really carry the good. offense at, at times there because uh, Sage Surratt got hurt and Scotty Washington got hurt. So like he yeah. kind of was a, like the only show in town there for Wake Forest there for a while, and he rose to the challenge. Yeah, you could arguably put him in a similar category, I guess, as even depending on how he tests as uh, Lynn Bowden. Mm. But uh, yeah, he's you know sometimes. Sometimes playing a quarterback before receiver actually is helpful too. Uh, you know, sometimes it, uh, it it seems like you know Hinton's got you know the perspective of the quarterback and and he had no trouble picking up receiver, so he might just kind of know what he's doing. Um, but in any case, I have no idea how he's going to test. Uh, if he if he tests poorly, I, I could back off of this immediately. We we know uh, Jeff Thomas and Donovan Peoples Jones will test well. The question is, you know, how good are they at actually playing football? And it's with Thomas, he's five foot ten and one eighty, so he's he's a burner. Uh, Donovan Peoples Jones is much bigger at six two two oh eight. He might also be a burner, but for now, he's basically just the guy that everybody. He's an urban legend. Yeah, he's he's the guy who does box jumps. Like that's that's his biggest thing so far. Probably jump out of. He had pool. a couple good punt returns. Yeah, I've, I got. So, I feel like I got so burned. Uh, actually, it's funny. Both of these guys were, I think, like two of my fir- like some of my first two dynasty picks going into like the 2017 season. So like when they were incoming freshmen, I was like, ah, oh, these two in a few years are going to be talking about these both high first recruits. Rounders. I should yeah. mention too. Like Hinton was not, but Thomas and yeah. especially Peoples Jones were high recruits. Thomas got screwed, I think, at Miami. I think Miami just that offense, especially after his freshman year, was just awful. The quarterback play just terrible, but. I mean, he he was way outperforming the baseline, I think, for the most part, um, especially or this past season. I think there's a lot of sizzle to his game. I think he's a really interesting player. I think uh, of the guys that got invited to the combine, I was really happy to see him on the list because there's a there would have been a fair enough argument that like he, he wouldn't have made the cut to to get to the combine this year. But I think just by virtue of him having that chance, I think he's going to turn some heads. Yeah, he should burn up the track, and you know, th- there's a non-zero chance he ends up going even on like day two or something because it, it it's hard to know from afar what the NFL thinks about a guy like him who had a 
his playing situation was kind of turbulent because there was that whole thing about uh, wasn't he at Illinois? Yeah, he like br- he like briefly transferred to Illinois and then went back to Miami. Same, the same way that Manny Diaz took the Temple job and then he took the Miami job. Yeah, so in his true freshman season, Thomas went over 300 yards, so that's kind of a you know checked the box there. Sophomore year of 560 yards on 63 targets, that's totally solid. And if he didn't kind of disappear last year, we might have been talking about Thomas very differently. And if he runs something like a 4-3 flat, we could start talking about him that way again. So, uh, yeah, with with this range of the rankings in this tier, it's like there's something incomplete about your profile. In Thomas's case and in Peoples-Jones's case, there's no production. But we think we have reason to believe their tools will test at a high level that keeps them in play. Definitely. Whereas the other guys in this tier uh, have the production, but maybe not the athletic variables. And that, that includes Hinton, but also Hasis Dubois from Virginia and Quez Watkins from southern Mississippi, who they both t- have really good numbers. But you watch the tape and it's like they're both kind of skinny. You're not sure if they're quite as fast as you'd like them to be when they are that skinny. So uh, there's there's a range of outcomes with all these guys. But it's like if Dubois tests well at the combine, if Watkins tests well at the combine, that would change things in a hurry for me because both of them have their production fully accounted for already. Well, speaking of one of Dubois' teammates, we kind of uncovered a little well, diamond did. in the rough potentially. Potentially. You know, this this is like the deepest of cuts. Um, but Joe Reed uh, of Virginia fame, uh, a guy who had terrible numbers this year, um, but he did have promising numbers in production uh, each of the previous couple of seasons. Uh, he's a guy that, in terms of his size, he's what like six two, six three, two fifteen, something in that yeah, range. Yeah, I, I would guess you'll see him measure at six one, two ten, six one, two fifteen. Okay, so he was a dominant kick returner um, and. Two years ago, in 2018, uh, for Virginia, he was a guy that was averaging uh, really impressive numbers. He was at like 12.6 yards per target while the team was averaging 7.7 yards per attempt, uh, catching uh, two-thirds of his targets, also had seven touchdowns. so pretty impressive stuff uh, from him. And then this year, Virginia kind of retooled its offense, or it didn't retool it, but it miscast Joe Reed I think is is the best way that I can put it because they had a guy in Olamide Zacchaeus that I'm sure people remember from the Falcons this year but he was kind of a gadget type player for Virginia really really high target volume but really low in terms of like the the overall yardage uh, that sort of thing so with that Joe Reed kind of had to take on that role for whatever reason this year and that's why he had 5.9 yards per target this year still caught everything at like a pretty impressive clip 66 percent catch rate there but and he had like the 30 percent market share or I'm sorry 23 percent market share 30 percent touchdown share this year so there there are things at least about Joe Reed to you know you look a little bit deeper beyond the surface and, and you can start and then you you factor in the kick return ability and the size speed combo there's enough to where maybe he gets himself drafted yeah and Dubois is a little bit different of a player he's listed at 6'3 215 and when you watch him you're like oh yeah that's a boundary receiver he's he's a guy you run uh, 10 yard out routes with and and you know he plays on the sideline does conventional routes with Reed. You watch him and it's it's more like you just try to get him the ball and see what he does with it kind of thing. And uh, at 6'1", 215, and with his history of kick returns, uh, like I think he's like he had two last year for a touchdown, one for a touchdown the year before that, one for a touchdown the year before that, or two for a touchdown the year before that. So with that kind of kick return production, you have reason to, to just assume this guy Joe Reed can run with the football and in a variety of scenarios and uh, with that kind of body density at you know six one two fifteen, that's the kind of thing that almost makes me wonder if, i almost want to s- watch to see if the 49ers take him in the seventh round just to make him like the explicit backup to Debo samuel because uh, it's just like you watch samuel in that 49ers offense with all the misdirection and all the tricks that they use to to kind of just get him in isolated good situations with that kind of job, Debo doesn't even really need to be a good NFL receiver. It's like he just needs to be a guy who is fast and and uh, you know densely built, who has a football and is running with it. And yeah, exactly. Sucks to tackle him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Reed has that kind of like frame and and you know with the ball in his hands, he has that kind of skill set. It's hard to tell what kind of route running ability, conventional wide receiver ability he has. 
the numbers are uneven and given that Dubois and Zacchaeus put up you know good numbers in that offense I think we can at least think Reed is not the natural receiver those two are but uh, he might be like the toolsiest of them and uh, there are times in those kick returns he looks pretty fast so if he's if he's 6'1 210 and he has basically like 95th percentile you know weight adjusted speed and he's a guy who you know can run in the open field then you know he's putting a maybe like a Corderell Patterson kind of possibility uh, uh, into play, not as a first round pick, but you know, if Corderell Patterson went in the seventh round and had the career that he's had, people would be like, man, that was such a good pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but because he was a first rounder, it's like you, you kick returning scum, <laughs> you running back hybrid bastard. But uh, if Joe Reed goes in the seventh and he does that, people will be like, he's so cool. I know. So hopefully, you know, he's a, dark horse there but i think that somebody um that will be worth paying attention to any and what we'll do more like keep an eye on this guy type of stuff uh, as the combine approaches but let's wrap things up for our receivers uh next week we'll get in it we'll switch positions running we'll, backs, we'll, go, we'll go to running backs we might skip the tight ends and quarterbacks because who cares but also we might not we we gotta we gotta make this you know show go somehow yeah so if we'll have enough content eventually well i don't know if we get through there's a fair enough amount of running backs to maybe where we can we can maybe go three episodes yeah and then by that time it'll be combine time so uh you know a little bit of workshopping it on the pod uh here but that's gonna wrap things up for mario puig i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening to the rotowire nfl podcast Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.